Hi, and welcome to Halfwood History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Or not. No, we did that last (laughs) week. Yeah. Um, Although, speaking of last week, update in the, you know, like 10 minutes since we recorded last Uh, week. Stop telling people. (laughs) The people of the future, when we're famous, would never have known. I have no secrets from our friends. Um, You talked about... How do you say it again? SETI? SETI. S-E-T-I. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, the thing that I was talking about... Your crazy murder thing. Is SATI. (laughs) S-A-T-I. And as a historical practice found chiefly among Hindus in the northern and pre-modern regions of South South Asia, in which a widow sacrifices herself by sitting atop her deceased husband's funeral pyre. So it was a thing, and it was extremely close. It was close. I Seti, will give you that. Sati. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm not crazy. Well. Hey, watch it, mister. What's your topic? All right. <clears throat> Please don't be Sati. <laughs> no. Mm, anyway, no. So, well. <laughs> oh, no. It's not. But <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> Always so grim with you. All right. Well, Okay. So on August 22nd, 1952, the penal colony on Devil's Island is permanently closed. And that is the topic. Okay. So. Sounds like a good thing. If anyone's, well, we're going to talk about its history, not so much what it is now. Uh, Um, So we're not, don't worry, we're not going to hell unless you count a penal colony as hell. In which case, I would say probably most of the people who were sent there probably did think it was that you're going on a really weird tangent here kylie well it gets worse (laughs) okay Um, buckling in yes buckle up bud so the penal colony of cayenne more commonly known as devil's island was a french penal colony that operated in the 19th and 20th century in the salvation islands in french guiana the island was opened in 1852 and received convicts from the prison of saint laurent de moroni the residents, uh, the resident convicts, had been deported from all parts of the Second French Empire, and it was infamous for its harsh treatment of detainees, with a death rate of seventy-five percent at its worst. Oh boy, <laughs> that's pretty bad. It's not great. Tell me that there weren't many people who were sent there. Help. Okay, there were a lot of people who we'll died. We'll get to it. Oh man. Um, So Devil's Island operated as part of an extended prison system that stretched over several locations on the mainland and in the offshore Salvation Islands, which is kind of ironic (laughs) if you ask me. They're the Salvation Islands and there were prisoners were sent. Whatever. I don't. I don't get it. Salvation. Oh. Like they're su- the Salvation Island. I kept hearing South Asian no. every time you said it. <laughs> and I'm like, what's so ironic about South Asians in a South Asian penitentiary? Nope. I didn't realize you were saying Salvation. Salvation. There <laughs> we go. Fa- okay. So the Salvation Islands housing penal colonies is ironic to me. Yes. We good? Yes, is yes. <laughs> okay. Caught up. <laughs> Great. Okay. So within the colony system, the Ile Royale was the reception center for the general population of the penal colony, where they were housed in moderate freedom due to the difficulty of escape. Uh, I mean, as an island. 
So St. Joseph Island was the reclusion where inmates were sent to be punished by solitary confinement in silence and darkness for escapes or offenses committed while in the penal colony. And Devil's Island was for political prisoners, among others. During the 17th and 18th centuries, so pre-penal colony times, prisoners convicted of felonies were sentenced to serve as oarsmen in the French Mediterranean galley fleet, which given the harsh conditions, was practically a death sentence in and of itself. Okay. Uh, Following the decommissioning of the Mediterranean galley fleet in 1666, the majority of prisoners were paired together in chains aboard galley hulks that were moored in French harbors until the barges rotted and sank. Okay. With the prisoners still in them. Yep, kind of saw that one coming. Yep. So if anyone needs a visual, think the beginning of Les Miserables. That doesn't help me, but we've already discussed that on this podcast. Well, it'll help plenty of people, but you. You know, we really need to watch that movie. It's on Netflix now. You like Hugh Jackman. I know. You can suck it up. We'll get Louise to come and we can watch it together. Fine. (laughs) Come on. I mean, the amount of times I talk on here, I'm like, oh, depressing topics. Nah. Um, Okay. Something about bread and French people. I don't know. (laughs) French people tend to do a lot of stuff with bread. Well, anyway. (laughs) I'm just joking, Kylie. It's probably great. (laughs) Baguettes. (laughs) Um, You like the Panera baguettes, so you don't get to say anything negative about French bread. I'm just saying I don't think I want a whole musical about it. It's not just about bread. It's only about bread. (laughs) So prisoners relied on charity or their families for food, bedding, and clothing. So basically, they weren't really given anything. And if their families helped provide for them, then great. They could have, you know, other clothes and blankets. But if not, then you're out of luck. Um, They were required to work 12 hours a day in the docks, and they earned 10 to 15 centimes, which they could spend on food and wine. At least there's wine. Wine, okay. Yep, another French thing. Um, Other prisoners were housed in prisons onshore where conditions were apparently so bad that many prisoners would beg to be transferred out to the hulks. Okay. So, great times all around, it would seem. Um, By the early 19th century, the French urban population had increased significantly, which also meant there was an increase in crime. In 1832, legislation was passed mandating the state's provision of basic necessities to prisoners. So, like, you know, those blankets and clothing and food and stuff that they weren't getting before. Yep. Um, However, prison reform changed the previous reliance on corporal punishment to imprisonment with a goal of vengeance and deterrence, with imprisonment considered a way to remove offenders from society just, like, permanently. Uh, Recidivism, which... If anyone's not familiar with that term, it basically means like repeat offenders. Yep. Um, so re- recidivism rates of up to 75% had become a major problem and unemployed released prisoners began flooding the streets or the cities. In the 1840s, the state set up an internal agricultural penal colonies as a place to receive prisoners, thereby removing them from the urban environments and giving them employment. Prisoners were commonly sentenced under doublage, which... Uh, meant that upon completion of their sentence, they were then required to work as employees at the penal colony for an additional period equal to their original sentence. Oh, boy. So basically double imprisonment 
practically. Well, one's imprisonment, and then one's indentured servitude. Yeah, so not great. Um, unsurprisingly, the French Navy wasn't particularly happy about having to guard prisoners and take care of the disruptions that they caused in the shipyards. Uh, so following his coup in 1851, Emperor Napoleon III ordered that the hulks be permanently closed and that civil law convicts be transferred overseas to colonies. The question then was, where? Where to send them? So Algeria was ruled out by the Navy as it was controlled by the French army. Um, Haiti, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic, as well as Texas, kind of funnily, okay. were all considered, but the government eventually chose French Guiana. The French had repeatedly failed at colonizing French Guiana, and the last attempt had been in 1763, which had ended with 75% of the 12,000 colonists that had been sent there all died within the first year. Oh, boy. Yeah, so it was not, it did not do great. Did you, did you say 75%? Of 12,000 colonists, yes. You know, the French are doing really bad with their 75%. 75% fatality rate in the prison, 75% of people were reincarcerated again. Not reincarnated, <laughs> my God. Reincarcerated again. They were reincarcerated after being reincarnated while in the prison. <laughs> I mean... And then 75% of their colonists died on this place that they're about to send people. Well... Yeah, um, it's not great, and they did, weren't sending them there with the intention of them ever leaving, so they didn't really care if they died while there. Well, with their history of 75% mortality rates, uh, they don't really have to worry about where they're sending them. Very true. Um, so by the late 1850s, the declining number of survivors were on the brink of extinction, so apparently that made it the perfect place to send felons. Um, in 1852, Napoleon called for volunteer prisoners from the Hulks to transfer to the new penal colony in French Guiana, and 3,000 convicts applied. Apparently. Applied? Applied. Or volunteered, maybe, is a better term. Okay. He called for volunteers, and 3,000 prisoners went, me. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I mean, hey. I mean, I can get the appeal of it being better than being chained in the bottom of a ship. That could sink. That could sink. 75% of the time. Yeah. So the main part of Devil's Island was a labor camp that stretched along the border with the Dutch Guiana, which is present-day Suriname. The penal colony was controversial as it had a reputation for harshness and brutality, where prisoner-on-prisoner crime and violence uh, and tropical diseases were all very common. Only a small minority of broken survivors ever returned to France to tell how horrible it was, and sometimes their stories were enough to deter other cr criminals from committing crimes that would get them sent there in the first place. So in this one instance, it worked as a deterrent. <laughs> Interesting. Mostly because it was so utterly horrific. Yeah. Uh, Devil's Island and associated prisons eventually became one of the most infamous prison systems in history. Criminals sent to Devil's Island included political prisoners, which in also included 239 Republicans who opposed Napoleon III's coup d'etat in 1851. So because they didn't like that he took over the government, they were sent to Devil's Island. No other crime, just differing opinions. Yeah. Yep. I believe it. Yep. Uh, but there were also hardened thieves and murderers because having a p different political opinion in France in 1851 <laughs> made you on the same level as violent thieves and murderers. France so. is weird, man. It can get strange, yeah. So over 80,000 prisoners were sent to Devil's Island over 
like the course of its existence as a penal colony, and very few of them ever made it back to France. The only exit from the island prisons was by water, and very few convicts ever escaped. Part of that was because of the forced residency law that was passed in 1854, which required convicts to stay in French Guiana after completion of their sentence for a time equal to their forced labor time. So basically, it's that doublage thing again, except they had to live on that island for that amount of time, which basically meant like they had to provide free labor the whole time they were there. Is that on top of the free labor that they were going to provide after? No, I think it's like it's pretty much the same deal but they had to live there like they couldn't leave they couldn't like go back to france because i'm like now are they spending three times their sentence at this place no 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 but but i mean practically if the original sentence exceeded eight years then they were forced to stay as residents for the remainder of their lives well that's not fair no they were provided land to settle on so like they were theoretically free people like they were no longer obliged to do work for the camps but it's really not better were the french just trying to emulate uh britain in making australia i mean yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) pretty much um An 1885 law provided for repeat offenders for minor crimes to also be sent to the French Guiana prison system, uh, which had previously been reserved for, you know, serious offenders and aforementioned political prisoners. So now if you, you know, stole a loaf of bread more than once, you were going to Devil's Island, not prison. So it's a bit of an escalation. A little. A little. So a limited number of convicted women were also sent to French Guiana, and the intent was for them to marry the freed male inmates to aid in settlement and development of the colony. So it was just trying to set up a prison colony. (laughs) Well, yeah. Because you could have just let them all, you know, die there unless there were some women inmates as well. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so as I'm sure you can imagine, it didn't work out like they hoped. <laughs> are you sure? I'm pretty sure not all women want to marry felons, even if they are felons themselves. But yeah, no one likes being forced into marriage, so it was not a super popular option. There's some TLC <laughs> show about that, I bet. Oh, dear God, probably. Women marrying prisoners Jeez. Th- because they're just like, oh, prisoners, bad boys. Oh, God. Yeah, but this wasn't voluntary. This was, oh, you stole a loaf of bread. Here, go marry this man. <laughs> Help fund this colony with babies. That's true. Little, little <laughs> bit different. Yeah. Um. So it, it didn't work out great, and the government discontinued the practice in 1907. Little late, but that's little fine. Late, but yep. Um. So the penal colony system was gradually phased out, especially after a significant amount of international negative attention was brought to the system during the Dreyfus affair, and the subsequent books on the devil's island or about devil's island until the whole practice was shut down for good in 1953 and since the late 1950s the islands have actually become something of a tourist attraction um the penal colonies were also featured heavily in several books published by escaped prisoners interesting so speaking of escaped convicts we're going to take a look at some of them okay uh so clement duval was an anarchist who was sent to devil's island in 1886 Duval had served in the Franco-Prussian War, where he was wounded by a mortar and then contracted smallpox. Um, So as a result, he spent four of the next 10 years in a hospital. Afterwards, unable to work, Duval turned to theft. 
you know, kind of makes sense. Um, he was caught stealing 80 francs and spent a year in prison, after which he joined the anarchists of the Panther of Bataglionis. Bataglion? We're going to go with Bataglionis. Bataglionis. I think that actually is it. Um, however, on October 25th, 1886, Duval broke into the mansion of a Parisian socialite and stole 15,000 francs before he accidentally set the house on fire. Oops. Yep. He was caught only two weeks later after trying to fence the stolen goods. That is not enough time to wait before fencing your stolen goods, my friend. Um, and when he was caught fencing said stolen goods, he stabbed a policeman who survived, um, but he did get arrested for both the theft and the uh, attempted murder. <laughs> yeah, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. So Duval's trial drew crowds of supporters and ended in chaos when he was dragged from the court crying, long live anarchy. He was condemned to death, but his sentence was later commuted to hard labor on Devil's Island. He would then spend the next 14 years there where he attempted to escape 20 times. That's a lot. Yep. That's a few escapes a year. Yep. Um, until eight, April of 1901, when he was finally successful. Nice. Duval then fled to New York City, where he spent the rest of his life. Perseverance is key. Yep. Um, there, so there's another group of fugitives. Um, they were Francois Freen, Paul Renussi, Raymond Vaud, who were all French, and Giovanni Battistotti, who was Italian. Are you sure you he wasn't also guess. French? <laughs> you can probably guess he was Italian. Um, so the four of them managed to escape to St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands in 1936. Their boat was nearly wrecked on the reef, and the convicts were initially entertained as guests and treated for their injuries at the municipal hospital. But I'm guessing that did not um, last very long since the, um, l the section on them that I read said that they encountered many hardships afterwards. So I don't mm. think they were treated as guests the whole time. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, Henri Charrier was another successful escapee of Devil's Island, um, who then chronicled his escape with a companion named Sylvain in his book Papillon. They used two sacks filled with coconuts to act as life buoys, and according to Charrier, the two men leaped into heavy seas from a cliff and drifted to the mainland over a period of three days. Sylvan or Sylvain unfortunately died in quicksand a short distance from the shore. Quicksand? Yup. <clears throat> We're always taught to worry about quicksand, but I never thought it would get any of us. Apparently it got Sylvain. So after Sylvain, you know, got caught in quicksand and died, uh, Chaterrier was to meet a man who was able to help him complete his escape, but he was caught again and served and um, imprisoned in the Bagney at El Dorado, which I didn't actually realize someone named a place El Dorado, but apparently it's somewhere near French Guiana. I bet there's a few places named El Dorado. <laughs> Probably. That would make sense. So he was imprisoned um, at the Bagni until he was released, and then he moved to Venezuela. Here's the twist. Chaterrier was never imprisoned on Devil's Island. What? And after his book was published, French authorities were quick to produce penal colony records that con contradicted what he wrote. Hmm. Chaterrier had made a successful prison break, but it was from a mainland prison in French Guiana, not Devil's Island. Oh. So, bit of a difference. Uh, French journalists and prison authorities disputed other elements of his book and said that he invented many incidents 
or had appropriated experiences from other prisoners like Clement Duval. Um, Chaterrier, however, refused to admit that he had made it up at all. Stick to your guns. Yep, even when you've been thoroughly proven wrong. <laughs> uh, so Rene Belbenois is perhaps the most renowned escapee of the penal colony. And he wrote about his experiences in two well-received memoirs titled The Dry Guillotine, 15 Years Among the Living Dead, and a second book called Hell on Trial. Belbenois had served with distinction in the French army during World War I. After the war, he began working in a restaurant in Bessasson as a dishwasher for eight francs a day with room and board. After working there just 11 days, he stole a wallet containing 4,000 francs, then a motorcycle, to and left for Nantes. In Nantes, he quickly found work as a valet in the Chateau Ben Ali, which was owned by the Comtesse de, de Entremus. Despite the graciousness of his employer, Belbenois stole the Countess's pearls and some money from her dressing table. Well, then. After having only worked there for a month. <laughs> Sticky fingers. Yep. He then escaped on a train for Paris, where he was arrested two days later for the theft of said pearls. He was then sentenced to eight years of hard labor in the penal colony of French Guiana, which, if you remember, eight years meant that you ha then had to stay there for life. For life. Yep. Two weeks after his arrival, Belbenois tried to escape for the first time with another man. They took a raft to Suriname, but were captured and shipped back to the penal colony. The next Christmas, Belbenois again attempted to escape with nine others who had stolen a log canoe. The canoe capsized on the Mar Maroni River, which was on the Suriname side, um, and they had to escape into the jungle. At some point, three of the nine men were violently murdered. In the jungle somewhere. Eventually, local natives who sheltered them turned them over to the Dutch authorities, who sent the escapees back to the French. In the following years, Belbenois tried to escape two more times and was transferred from island to island. In 1930, Belbenois sent a copy of his writings about the prison conditions to the new governor and was then transferred to the prison archive, apparently as, like, less hard labor and more uh, clerical work. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, before the governor returned to France, he gave Belmanois a one-year permit to leave the penal colony, which, so, like, think parole. Mistake. Um, except, who was going to go back after a year of parole? Like, they weren't going to, no one's going to go back voluntarily. Are you crazy? Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, Belmanois spent most of that year working in the Panama Canal Zone as a gardener. However, as the permit was set to expire... He decided to go back to France to try to or argue his case, like, that he should be free. Okay, that's better <clears throat> so than I expected. Of. I thought he was just going to run. Well, unfortunately, as soon as he re-entered France, he was arrested for the crime of returning to France. What a pickle. Yep. So he was then sent um, to the Ile Royale and put into solitary confinement for almost a whole year. Oof. Yeah. <clears throat> so on November 3rd, 1934, Belbenois was officially released. But that just meant that he became a uh, libéré, a free prisoner who was still not allowed to return to France. <laughs> so he made a living by capturing and selling butterflies and making items after na out of natural rubber and then selling them. He also, at some point during this period, lost all of his teeth. Um, okay. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe he sold those as well. Because Ooh. this is potentially... Well, it's a little late for like the buying and selling of teeth, but... 
on French Guiana on an island, I feel like it wouldn't, it would kind of be feasible. Maybe. Make dentures for someone. So despite being free, Belle Benoit was still stuck on the island colony. However, after a visiting filmmaker gave him $200 for what, I have absolutely no idea, Belle Benoit decided it was time to leave again. Or try to. On March 2nd, 1935, he and five others took to the sea with a boat they had bought with presumably that $200. When after three days at sea, the companions began to argue, he actually pulled a gun and forced them to continue in the direction that they were going. So started out as like a group escape plan and then quickly became a, if you, if you don't go where I want you to go, I'm going to shoot you. <clears throat> Sounds like maybe he was the murderer of his last escape attempt. I mean, we'll probably never know, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, they did manage to reach Trinidad, which had a policy of helping French Guiana escapees until about 1938. So, like, legitimately had a policy about helping them escape. Um, they were allowed to stay there for about three weeks, and they were given new supplies and even a new boat. And on June 10th, they continued on their trip. I like how it's, it's called a trip. And not like an escape. <laughs> on their endeavor. vacation. On their vacation. Their lovely little jaunt through South America. <clears throat> so 16 days later, they ran aground on a beach in Colombia where locals stole all of their clothing. What? Whoops. Um, eventually, they reached Santa Marta, Colombia, where a local general fed them. But he also notified the French consul and took them to the local military prison. Oh, man. <laughs> Belbenois cannot catch a break. No, the French are just all too close to him no matter where in the world he goes. Yep. So somehow, Belbenois was actually separated from his companions and with the cooperation of, a local, pris of local prison authorities, a sympathetic local newspaperman helped him to escape in exchange for him writing about prison conditions. You know, a lot of people... Help this man escape. And a lot of people immediately contacted the French to get him back in bars. He is both supremely lucky and supremely unlucky. Basically, he's the combo of you and me. You're that lucky? Um, Of course you are. You've got me. <laughs> well, I was going to say, remember that time that I decided I really wanted a Mazda and one just magically appeared in your mom's driveway? That's true. Like, and you were like, hey, it's the exact car you wanted. And I was like... Yup. For quite a few thousand dollars cheaper. <laughs> yup. <laughs> Fine, I buy it. <laughs> and I also won diamond, diamond earrings at my senior prom. You'll never stop bringing them So there's up. that. Those are like my two really lucky moments of like, hey, just what about pure me? chance. I put a lot of effort into you, Miss. Oh, oh, I see how <laughs> it, it is. wasn't just pure happenstance. Well, it was pure happenstance we three separate times. <laughs> Before we actually met, yeah. Anyway. So the newspaper man helped him to escape so that he would write about the prison conditions. So he traveled north, frequently stealing canoes from natives to continue his journey. In Panama, he spent about seven months with the Kuna tribe and later sold a large collection of butterflies in Panama City. So he continued catching butterflies and selling them. Then in 1937, he reached La Libertad El Salvador, where he hidden a ship that took him to Los Angeles. Um, once he made it to Los Angeles, he published his memoirs, the Dry Guillotine book. And was immediately captured by the French. Well, <clears throat> which unfortunately for Belbonois attracted the attention of the U.S. Immigration Authority. Oh. And he was, <laughs> and he was arrested. Oh, dang. <laughs> he was given a visitor's visa, but in 1941, he was told to leave the country. 
He went to Mexico and then a year later tried to slip back into the United States. However, he was arrested in Texas and sentenced to 15 months in prison. After his release from the Texas prison, Belbenoir acquired a valid passport and went to Los Angeles to work for Warner Brothers as a technical advisor. What? <laughs> yep. He worked for Warner Brothers as a technical advisor for the film Passage to Marseille. Okay. Yep. Um, in 1951, Belbonois moved to Lucerne Valley, California, where he started Renee's Ranch Store. However, his second book, Hell on Trial, began attracting attention from immigration authorities again. So he was summoned to L.A. in May of 1951. This time, lucky for him, his former movie co-workers spoke on his behalf, and he received a U.S. citizenship in 1956. So strange. I what, know. A, what a roller coaster this guy's <laughs> life has gone through. Yep. He then lived, lived the next three years of his life in California. Next three? What happens after the he next died. three? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Luck's got to run out sometime. <laughs> yeah. However, he had two like very good, like well selling books. So. And apparently worked on a movie. Yep. So, Rene Belmanois actually deserves a fair amount of credit for his influence in shutting down the French penal colony system. So his book, Dry Guillotine, strongly criticized the system, and it also aroused public outrage about conditions, and not just, like, in France, but, like, internationally, because it was, you know, a, a well-received book, so it was translated into many languages. So a lot of people reacted very strongly to the conditions that are portrayed in it. Interesting. Yep. So shortly after, the French government announced plans to close the penal colonies. The outbreak of World War II delayed that operation, but from 1946 until 1953, one by one the prisons were closed, and Devil's Island was the last. Most of the prisoners at the time returned to, the, to metropolitan France, although some chose to actually remain in French Guiana, presumably those who had, like, you know... Those, generations there. Generations and, like, you know, those imported wives... <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Probably the few that actually got along. Um, in 1965, the French government transferred the responsibility for most of the islands to its newly founded Guiana Space Center. Apparently, French Guiana is ideally situated for a spaceport, as it's near the equator so that less energy is required to maneuver a spacecraft into an equatorial geostationary orbit. Don't know what any of that meant, but I'm going with it. <laughs> I know what that means. And it has um, an open sea to the east so that lower stages of rockets and debris from launch failures are unlikely to fall on human habitations. Also, the closer you are to the equator, the more percentage of the sky you can see at any given time in the year. Well, that makes sense. However, the islands have to be evacuated for each launch as they're like right in the trajectory of the debris. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> not very many people live on them, so. Uh, the French space agency CNES, which stands for the National uh, Center for Space Studies, in French it goes in that in the right. Yeah, that happens. Order. That happens frequently with acronyms in other languages. <laughs> yeah. So in association, uh, so CNES in association with other agencies has restored buildings classified as historical monuments on the islands, and since tourism facilities have been added, the islands now receive more than fifty thousand tourists each year. So, should we add a visit to Devil's Island to our honeymoon itinerary for next year? I don't think so. Aww. Maybe. <laughs> you could convince me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that was Devil's Island. Penal colony. 
very cool mildly terrifying yeah i mean it was less uh sad than normally i thought i think gear topics turn out to be you, hey. st- you, you started with 75 percent death rates all around i mean a lot of people died there well we don't have to go back to that it turned out to be kind of a funny story, and I, just I enjoyed hi- it. I just wanted to highlight all of the, like, escapees and stuff, and Rene Belbenois was actually very entertaining. He yeah. just, he got so lucky, and then so not. <laughs> yeah, up and down, yep. and up and down, and U.S. and France, Yep, and Mexico, then France. Yep, and one of, actually, one of the reasons I wanted to pick this topic originally was because I, um, the Dreyfus affair is really interesting. Um, but as soon as I like was like, oh, I can expand into this, I was like, Mm-mm, that needs to be its own topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, here we are with Devil's Island. Cool. Well, time for the call to action. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History, and you can go to our website at www.halfwit-history.com, and you can send us emails to halfwitpod at gmail.com. Yeah, if you have any comments, feedback, um, suggestions for topics, you don't need to email me about Sati anymore because I figured it out. <laughs> yes. But yeah, if you have any com- um, anything you want to let us know, we would love to hear from you. And if you want to support us in a way that isn't just saying hello, because that is support and we do like that, mm-hmm. uh, you can also go to our ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash halfwit history and support us with monies <laughs> the monetary support <laughs> yes we promise that any monies that we get will definitely go directly back into the show like we bought a lot of equipment and yeah. a lot of equipment and hopefully you guys can hear the difference over our earlier episodes i think i can when i edit i would but i uh, would uh, i would hope so <laughs> yeah but any, anything that you guys donate will go to uh back paying off this equipment that we purchased yeah. Yeah. And it then an uh, once once we get rid of that investment, it'll likely go to probably things like advertising and stuff like that. Yeah. So gotta all to make the show our... better. Yeah. Got to expand our base. That's right. Anyways, uh, also thank you to the Fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find their link down in our show notes. <laughs> And Kylie's chuckling because now she knows that I do the point at the ground and I almost didn't because I'm like, now she knows. Now she's looking. <laughs> I watched it again. Yeah. Right. Fun fact type. Well, I also wanted to mention oh. that I have a website again. And if you oh, want yeah. me to get voiceover work, uh, I have a little Google form that you can fill out for audition information. And I have a link to my voices.com profile. Yeah, uh, but send him any voice acting opportunities because he has to pay off the subscription to that site. <laughs> yeah. Now, fun facts. All right. You can go first. Okay. So I kind of have one that ties in a little bit to that what you were saying right at the end there with people staying on the island even after it closed. So my fun fact is on August 23rd of 1973, a bank robbery gone wrong in Stockholm, Sweden, turns into a hostage crisis. And over the next five days, the hostages begin to sympathize with their captors, leading to the term Stockholm Syndrome. I've heard that story before. It's very interesting. Yeah, maybe that'll be something we can do another year. But it just it's funny that uh, your story yeah. ended with 
like the the <laughs> wives staying most likely, or you know, you're assuming yeah. that wives like, probably stayed. Prisoners in families. chose not to go back to France and to stay on the island. Yeah. yeah. So my fun fact is on August twentieth, nineteen sixty six. The Beatles are pelted with rotten fruit during their Memphis concert. Oh. <laughs> you know, Poor on the, web- the websites that we look at, they have a lot of really mundane information about what happens to the Beatles and their lives. Yep. Like, anytime Paul McCartney got any sort of DUI or fine or anything, it's on that website for some reason. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways... Uh, that's been our show. As always, I've been your halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope to see you next week. Bye. Bye.